I'm grateful to the Lord that he gives us rhythms through his word and spirit that if we would pay attention to, our relationship with him would be so much more intimate. To take time to be still and know that he is God in a weekly rhythm, in a daily rhythm, in a seasonal rhythm is important, not just for pastors, but for all of us. Because the noise outside and the noise inside is so great. We need desperately for the Lord to reveal himself to us. And we trust that he's going to do that even today. We're going to look at Psalm 118. You're going to see very familiar phrases in this psalm, including the one where the people of Israel got that statement, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So let's stand for the reading of God. Psalm 118 is Spencer and Whitney Moss. Read it for us. Lean in and pay deep attention to this lyric about the deliverance of God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Spencer. Appreciate it. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful to be in a place, in a sanctuary, where we uphold the word of your truth. And it's because of your grace that we have eyes to see. And we're thankful 
We're thankful that the Holy Spirit does work and illuminate even now that which is true, helping us to see and believe that Jesus alone is the deliverer, the only one that can save us for all eternity. We're thankful that we are being grown by you, Holy Spirit, sanctified, being made more and more like Jesus. And we're thankful that even this day, you will rescue people, bringing them into a saving relationship with you, which will last forever. So God, go before us now. Help us to think rightly and feel rightly, to respond appropriately to that which we hear of your word preached and proclaimed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Music is is powerful. When I'm away from this congregation, it's one of the things I miss the most, hearing you sing. As I worship in other places, I go as a worshiper, not as a critic, not really as a learner about styles. I go as a worshiper. I had some great experiences. One was I went to a church where there were 16 people, and 15 of those people are there every week. I made number 16, and it was obvious that I wasn't a regular person. It was obvious because the way the service started, the minister stood up and said, well, it's obvious we have somebody that's not normally here with us today. Would you stand up and introduce yourself? I did. I loved it. I didn't tell them I was a pastor, which meant that they spent a long time afterwards, each of them trying to get me saved. (laughs) It was really sweet to watch how seriously they took their faith, how passionately they sung. But I've missed singing with you. I've missed listening to your voices. Music is very powerful. You as a human being love certain aspects of music. Every one of you have a favorite song. I wonder what it is. If you're married, as a couple, you might have a song that's yours, a song that you dance to in your first dance. Others of you have particular music that you love to listen to on a road trip. Some of you think everyone else on that road trip with you will love the same music you love, and you want control of the radio to play your playlist. We all have our favorites. What is yours? What's your favorite song ever? Your favorite band? Your favorite type of music? Some of you have already planned the music that you're going to have played at your memorial service. I get letters constantly with people saying, I really think these are the songs I would want. I think that's beautiful. We have our favorites. And it's because music is powerful. It moves us. One of the last trips that Christina and I took while I was on sabbatical was to Scottsdale, Arizona. We were the guests of some dear friends. And while we were there, they took us to the Musical Instrument Museum in Phoenix. It's an amazing attraction. One of the best museums in the nation. It's modern. It's beautiful. But it holds 6,800 different instruments from over 200 different countries. There you can witness video and production of different incredible instruments, like a Steinway or a Martin guitar. Or you can see all the different nations that would play the bagpipes and countries you never heard of. So many things for you to see. But what struck me the most was the statement made at the orientation in the video you watch. This is what it said. From our first breath, music is the instrument of the soul. At times, it bellows to frighten away demons. More often, it soothes the trembling mind. Its rhythm adds heat to a lover's embrace. 
It comforts in times of despair. Music is the glue that fastens us together as a sensibility, as a people, as a nation. Music knows neither gender or creed. It's not bound by either age or income. It satisfies the rich and the powerful as perfectly as the common people. Music is a lifelong companion. And it's true. And the people of God, the nation of God, the people that belong to him have been given music. We have been given lyrics in these psalms that begin to make up the fabric of how God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's very possible that you have a favorite psalm. I wonder how many of you would select Psalm 118. Maybe some of you, but I don't think many. But for Martin Luther, this was his all-time favorite psalm. He wrote 60 pages of instruction about this one psalm alone. And in his preface, in his preface dedicating it to Frederick of Nuremberg, this is what he said about Psalm 118. This is my own beloved psalm. Although the entire Psalter and all of Holy Scripture are dear to me as my only comfort and source of life, I fell in love with this psalm especially. What psalm would you say that about? I'm curious. There are probably many different answers. But Martin Luther said, this psalm I fell in love with especially. Therefore, I call it my own. This is his song. This is his psalm. He says, when emperors and kings, the wise and the learned, even saints could not aid me, this psalm proved to be my friend and helped me out of many great troubles. As a result, it is dear to me. Now listen to what he says. It is dearer to me, this psalm, Psalm 118, is dearer to me than all the wealth, honor, and power of the Pope, the Turk, and the Emperor. I would be most unwilling to trade this psalm for all of it. Essentially, he is saying what we heard sung. You can have all of this world, all of the riches, all of the power, but give me this deliverer. Give me this God. Give me Jesus. Psalm 118 is where the people of God took the phrase, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Where is it? Keep the page in front of you. Verse 25 is where we get the word Hosanna. Save us, we pray, O Lord. And the Hebrew Hosanna literally means save us, save us now, rescue us, rescue us now. And then the phrase that's very familiar, verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this morning I want to take this psalm and I want to look at a few of the lyrics, a few of the, the stanzas of what this psalmist is saying. And it's really easy to see very quickly that it's about deliverance, from distress. The application of the psalm is given at the very beginning. The psalmist wants you and all who are listening to this piece of music 
to bring God praise, to give him thanks. He says so in verse one, look with me at 118.1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That verse starts the psalm, and then look at verse 28 or 29. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. What the psalmist is saying at the beginning of this song and at the end is the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast means unfailing, okay? The Lord is good, he has unfailing love, therefore praise him, give him thanks. He starts the psalm with that and he ends the psalm with that. But what he does in the middle is so powerful. He tells us why. And he tells us why through his own personal experience. Music is personal. It's powerful. And he brings us in. First, he starts with the reality of distress. Verse 5. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. Well, what kind of distress was the psalmist under? Look at verse 10. All nations surrounded me. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. Well, sometimes the psalmist is being poetic. Sometimes phrases like that might be a metaphor. Then there are other times when it's the reality of his life. And in this moment, the psalmist is seeing that as a reality. He was looking out at the borders. He was looking out at the people that were coming against his nation. And he says, all nations, it's plural, have surrounded me. Now, if we don't pay attention to the fact that this is written by a human being that's being carried along by the Holy Spirit, we may not really embrace as fully what's happening. When he speaks of being in distress, he's saying there is an enemy that's coming for me, for my crown, for my people, for my wife, for my children, my daughters, my son. The enemy that has surrounded us wants to plunder this place. It wants to annihilate this place. If any are to be kept alive, they're going to spend the rest of their life in service to a new king. So when he says, I'm in distress, when he says, the nations surround me, they surround me on every side, it's real to him. He then does go into a poetic picture. He says in verse 12, they surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. Bees. Bees. You know, if one little bee came into the sanctuary and began to move around right here in this section, not one of these ladies here or the men would stay still. They would try to control themselves but eventually one of them would do what they, want, they all want to do, and that is flip out. That is run. You see it all the time. People are having a picnic, things are going normal, and suddenly people are running and flailing, throwing things off. Bees scare us. They should. They sting. It hurts. Some of you are, like me, allergic to bee stings. The last time I got stung by a bee was in the spring of 2002. Spring of 2002, a bee hit me right there on the eyebrow. I've been stung many times. I went to bed that night, not really worried about it. Woke up the next morning, this side of my face was absolutely normal. So if I was standing this way and you looked at me, you would think everything is fine. When I turned though, the right side of my face had doubled in size. 
Literally, I was so swollen and contorted that you would not be able to hide the horror on your face when you saw what I looked like. It was a Sunday. I had to teach, so I went to church. I began to teach, and a nurse came up and interrupted me and said, what happened to you? I said, I got stung by a bee. She made me leave. She should have. I didn't know I was having an allergic reaction to a bee sting. Do you remember in the 70s when there was a threat of killer bees? Do you remember that there was a movie made called The Swarm? And the subtitle of that movie was, It's Coming. And where was it coming? Does anybody remember? To Texas. The killer bees from Africa had gone to Brazil, and now they're moving up Central America, and they're going to be in North America. Kids on playgrounds debated this. You'd see one bee, and somebody would say, that's a killer bee, they're coming. That was a real thing. It was on the news constantly. Well, this is an illustration that the psalmist is using to describe his distress. The people that are coming towards him that want to kill him, that want to destroy his people, are like a swarm of bees. They're dangerous. He goes on to say in verse 13, I was pushed hard, so hard that I was falling. Today, you've entered into the sanctuary. You come into a place of worship. And I know that for many of us, there's something in us that's creating distress. Like a swarm of bees, like nations that are surrounding us, there's heartache in you to know what to do. It might be an issue at work when you think of going tomorrow and you have conflict with other employees or an employer. It might be children who are going to school and they're so ready for summer, not because they're just bored, but because it's been a year of being beat down by bullies and others who constantly harass. It might be actually this afternoon when your family has time together and you know that something's just not right. There is a brokenness that is like a swarm that continues to wreak havoc within your own heart. It might be an issue of health and your parents are aging or you're aging or you're seeing a loved one slip away and it's like this swarm that is attacking you. The psalmist in this song teaches us what to do. He teaches us to cry out to the Lord. Verse five, he says, out of my distress, I called on the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. And then he makes the most interesting statement. It's a rhetorical question. What can man do to me? He's so secure in the Lord that he's calling out to. He's so secure in the strong arm of the Lord. He's so secure in the strong name of the Lord that he says, what can man do to me? And it's rhetorical. But I want to do something for a minute. Let's, let's remove the reality that it's rhetorical. And let's be honest about what man can do to you. Man can do a lot to you. And most of us live in deep fear of what man can do. Man can murder and take life. And if he's not going to take life to its end, he can take a reputation to its end. Man can betray you. 
slander you. Friends can actually talk bad about you behind your back. Man can break a promise, abuse a child, abuse a wife. Man can make a vow and break it. Man can break your heart. Man can deceive. Man can do a lot. Man can cry out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord only a little while later to say, crucify him, crucify him. But there is something that man cannot do. And this is what the psalmist is saying. Man cannot ultimately destroy your relationship with God. Man can do a lot. Martin Luther, using another hymn that was a favorite, Psalm 46, wrote, A mighty fortress is our God. And there, in the last stanza of that great hymn, he says, The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Man can do a lot to you, and that's why you're so afraid of each other. You can do a lot to other people, and that's why some people are afraid of you. But man cannot ultimately destroy a person for all eternity. There's something else man cannot do that's in this psalm. Man cannot deliver you. Man cannot deliver another man. Man cannot deliver himself. Whenever we face distress, whenever we come to a place where we feel like the nations are surrounding us, that the bees are swarming us, that we are being pushed down, that we are falling, we have two choices. One is to cry out to the Lord, or the other is to cry out to man. That might even be yourself. The psalmist says in verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. He then goes a step further and says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Why did he say that? Because our temptation when in distress is to run to another person. And if that person isn't powerful enough or rich enough or knowledgeable enough, or connected enough. We're gonna to continue to run until we find someone. And so he uses a prince who's powerful, a prince who's connected. And he says, don't trust in him. Don't put your refuge in a man, not even a prince. They can't deliver you. Something that's really, really interesting, I think, and some of you will, is that in the Bible, there are 31,174 verses. These two verses, Psalm 118, 8 and 9, are the dead middle of the Bible. Verses 15,587 and 15,588. See what I did on my sabbatical? It's amazing. Verse references are not inspired. They're put there by people to help us find things. 
But I do think it's significant if you ever want to know, what's the middle of the Bible say? The middle of the Bible says what it says at the front of the Bible and at the end. There's one deliverer. Trust him. Mankind, including yourself, you are not a deliverer. You cannot deliver your wife. You cannot deliver your husband. You cannot deliver your children. You cannot deliver your grandchildren. You cannot deliver our president. You cannot deliver other authorities. You, as a man, as a woman, can deliver no one. Only God can deliver us. You can't deliver yourself. And that's one of the great problems, is what we think in our own religion we can. The psalmist is saying, as he sings, don't put your refuge in anyone other than the Lord. Man cannot ultimately destroy you, and man cannot ultimately deliver you. But we do need a deliverer, and we have one. And he was riding on a donkey. And as he was riding on that donkey, the swarms of bees gathered around him, and they shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as Jesus rode that donkey towards Jerusalem, knowing that what he was moving towards was betrayal, friends denying that they even know him, knowing that the cost of his very life would be what was necessary, he takes those closest to him to a garden, and there he prays in distress. And in distress, he cried out to his father to deliver him. Father, if you are willing, deliver this cup from me. Take this cup from me. And the father said, no, I'm not willing. I'm not going to take this cup from you because if you don't drink this cup, then you can't become the deliverer and my people cannot be delivered. If you take this cup, if you die the death that they all deserve to die, if you die the death that will be given because of my wrath being poured out, then my people can cry out in distress and I can deliver them for all eternity. And Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. And it was. And when Jesus carried the cross as far as he could and when it was carried for him and when he was hung on that very cross, the swarms of bees came upon him. The nations weren't the issue. It was the people of every nation. It was you. It was me. It was you. It was me. Every sin ever committed or that would ever be committed pierced our Savior Jesus. The wrath of God swarmed over him until it was accomplished. He said it is finished and he died. That's what was necessary for him to be the deliverer that you need and I need. The psalmist ends the psalm by saying these words. Verse 27, the Lord is God. 
Friends, do you believe the Lord is God? Good. Even the demons believe that. Because he is. But the psalmist goes on to say in verse 28, not just that the Lord is God, but he says, you are my God. Can you say that today? Can you say that there was a moment in my life where I learned that I was a sinner in need of a savior and there's one deliverer. His name is Jesus and I've trusted in him. If you can, then do me, do God this great glorious thing. Give him praise. What you are praising him for is his faithfulness and steadfast love to you, his perfect, unfailing love. Wake up tomorrow, the first workday week of Holy Week, and say, I want to praise you for what you did, for what you're doing. Go throughout this week listening to this playlist. Let these words just overwhelm your soul. Give him thanks. For he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is God. He's your God. But if today you're able to say, because you're being honest, I'm not sure I believe he's God, and I certainly know he's not my God, I want you to know that you're so welcome here. Come with questions if you have them. Ask, really, who is this man? Ask him to reveal it to you. Ask the people around you to share. But I want to make it very simple. If you believe that he is Lord, I'm glad, and it's true. But you need to believe that he is your God. You need to profess, as the psalmist did, he's my God. How do you do that? In a word, you pray, Hosanna. Rescue me now. Save me now. And in this very moment, as you profess your need for a Savior and you trust your life to Jesus, he grabs hold of you with his accomplished work on the cross and will never let you go. No matter what you experience the rest of this life on earth, man will never be able to take that from you. No matter what you experience the rest of your life on this earth, you have the confidence that you have already been delivered. Now, if that's a desire that you have, if those things are stirring in your heart, then talk to someone around you that you think believes that. Ask them if they do. If they don't, move on to someone else that does. There'll be people in the corner of our sanctuary every Sunday to pray and talk with you. And certainly you can come down and talk to me or one of the other pastors. Friends, this psalm was the last in the Egyptian Hillel. Those six psalms that they used to celebrate the movement from slavery to security, from distress to deliverance. Let the lyrics of this hymn speak to your soul. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He is your deliverer from every distress and from the ultimate distressed. He's Lord. He is my Lord.
Father, we come and we need you so much to do what only you can do. We pray that you would remind us of what you went through that we might be delivered for all eternity. And even in this moment, Lord, I pray you would draw those who don't know you to yourself. For those who do, that you would speak to us in such a way that you would set aright our focus upon you, Christ, being our only deliverer. As we sit and listen to a couple verses of this very powerful song, let us hear the lyric, hear the phrase. And then as we stand to sing of your faithfulness, let nothing else be more important to us in this moment than you. And may that reality last. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.